The following program is paid for by Colorado Business Roundtable. From the Colorado Business Roundtable studios in Denver, you're listening to the voice of the Colorado Business Roundtable, focusing on issues around business, policy, and education with leaders across local, national, and international communities, making a difference and driving business success. This is Connect and Collaborate on KDMT, Denver's Money Talk, 1690 AM. Hello and welcome to Connect and Collaborate. I'm Alex Hopkins, our on-air producer, and we are having another episode of Redefining Rural uh, that is sponsored by CSU Global. It's Colorado State University Global Campus. Um, and we are talking something exciting today. Uh, one thing that I know that I'm excited to uh, and join in on the conversation is the four-day week. So we have some great guests. I will let our uh, recurring guests introduce those. Kirk Benghart, Michelle Murphy, and Danielle LaPlatte are all in studio for Redefining Rural. This is episode three. I'm excited to start the conversation. Thanks, Alex. We are super excited to be here. We have uh, another um, in-house guest with us, Frank Reeves. Frank is the superintendent of the East Grand School District. We have on the phone... Uh, Nikki Johnson, who is the superintendent of the Campo School District in southeastern Colorado. Before we get started and really dig into the topic of four-day school weeks and doing some um, myth-busting and some data analysis yeah. and all that exciting stuff, Frank, tell us a little bit about the East Grand District. Where are you? How many kids? What's the demographic look like? Okay, East Grand is a, is a rapidly growing district up in the mountains, um, Grand County. We are the eastern half of Grand County, which encompasses Winter Park, Frazier, Tabernash, Granby, Hot Silver Springs, and Grand Lake. Um, so it's it's really six pretty distinct communities um, that is rural and, and also a resort uh, with Winter Park and growing like crazy right now. We see, we've see we seen 100 new kids in the last two years and expect to, to see quite a few more this year. Um, uh, very rapidly, again, very rapidly growing, very... Uh, um, I guess it, socioeconomically, we are starting to see a greater separation mm. um, with our service workers and then with, with uh, the cost of living being so high, who can afford to actually move and, and live there? Um, so that's that's creating kind of a new dynamic. Uh, we are a four-day week. We've been a four-day week since 1982. Uh, we were one of the first few districts in the, in the state to go to a four-day week. Um, we did not pass a mill levy at one point, and that caused us to go to a four-day week and then almost immediately the thought was to go back to a five-day week and and the community said no we love the four-day week um to the point where our local ski area is both winter park and granby ranch offer free skiing to any employee or student in the district on fridays um kind of a perk it's a, it's a nice thing so um we're a we're a pretty high performing district uh, we've, we've bounced back and forth between being a district of distinction and, and being right on that level. Uh, so we score well, we, we do pretty well. We're, we're in seeming like constant change, uh, looking to get more into project-based learning, more into STEM activities and CTE programs that we really don't have very well established yet. So, and how many students in the district? Oh, good point. Um, right now we're at about 1400. When so. we went to a four-day week, it was 1,100, which was for a long time the largest district in the state that was a four-day week. Huh? So, 
Great, and we'll come back to some more of that background about the district going to, going not and wanting to go back, and yeah. um, the mill levy failing. I think that's a common theme for some of our districts financially, financial yep. concerns leading to the discussion at least. Nikki, thank you so much. Nikki is on vacation with her family in California, so thank you. That just goes to show the commitment of our rural superintendents, and I'm not making that up. So <laughs> we sincerely thank you for calling in. Um, tell us a little bit about Campo. Well, we are in the extreme southeast corner out on the plains, and uh, we have less than 50 students, and so we're one of the smallest districts in the state. Um, we're mostly a farming and ranching community, and um, we have very strong community support for our school district. We've been a four-day week since 2000, and we didn't make the decision at that time for financial reasons. We were looking more at... Um, improving attendance on the other four days and keeping those days strong with rigor and um, focus on instruction where Fridays were usually out at noon to travel for ball games and things like that anyway so we wanted to improve the, the focus on the other four days and we also thought at that time there weren't as many schools on four-day week and we thought it might help us with recruitment and retention of teachers and so we we made those decisions for different reasons than people are looking at, at those now. But we, um, we're excited that we're seeing more and more of our past graduates moving back to the area to raise their families. So we have um, more in elementary than we have in high school. We currently um, have no seniors for next year. So we're excited about the, the little ones. We also have daycare. And so we've been able to provide that service for our community as well as our staff. And so we have more in that end of our building. We're a, a K-12, one building school district, and uh, we really enjoy that that uh, strong community and family feeling that we get from that. I feel like there's a lot for our listening audience to absorb there, right? A district with less than 50 students. You know, I'm in Boulder Valley, and there's almost 50 students in my kids' class. I'm exaggerating that quite a bit. Boulder's, uh, we're just a bigger district. It's one of the things that has always appealed to me about some of the smaller spaces. And Nikki will likely get a chance to talk a bit about the incredible K-12 program that they've been able to build around to support all of those kids, which when you have less than 50 students or less than 500 students can be really challenging. Um, Danielle, we're going to turn to you. Danielle is our, as the, our Department of Education staffer. Danielle is our expert on all things history and data. Tell us a little bit about the four-day week, how it started in Colorado, and why. Yeah, sure. So this topic is really interesting. I'm so excited to share a lot of this. And a lot of the, um, the history, I guess I didn't realize. So one of the things that I shared with you guys in our first podcast was that I've only ever attended school in a rural district. I've only ever worked in rural school districts. And to that point, I, I got to thinking about it, and I only ever went to school on a four-day week. I only ever worked in districts, when I worked in a district, that were on some sort of a modified calendar. So either a 5-4 where we attended for um, part of the year on a five-day week and then part of the year on a four-day week, or districts that were on a straight four-day week. And so the concept to me of going to school on a Monday sometimes, or a Friday, depending on the district, was completely foreign. So How'd you get you through know, college? It was rough. <laughs> so my college was a four-day week. Right? Yeah. So um, 
So this has been in place for a really long time, and I don't think a lot of people realize that, but this actually started in 1980. And before we dig into the history, um, let me just tell you about the status going into the 1920 school year. So looking at the 1920 school year, we have 109 school districts across our state, in addition to one BOCES-operated school and select schools of the Charter School Institute that will be operating on a four-day school week. That's 61% of the school districts in the state of Colorado. So again, we have 178 districts 109 of those opting for the modified calendar. Those districts are approved by the commissioner annually, so it's in place where um, districts have to apply, they get approval from the commissioner if they're operating on less than 160 days. So going back to the beginning, um, in the 70s there was an energy crisis, and in 1980 the legislature allowed a few districts to pilot an alternative weekly schedule. Um, and at that time, three districts were approved by the legislature to do that. And by 1981, that list grew to 12. In 1985, the legislature changed the requirement for contact time for schools. So it used to be that we had to operate um, 180 days in the school calendar. That changed to 1,080 hours. And in 88, the legislature passed a provision that required any district that scheduled less than 160 days to be approved by the commissioner. A formal process was developed by the Department of Education in 1990, and at that time there were 36 districts that sought approval from there. And since then, we've seen, obviously, um, this upward trajectory in districts applying for the four-day school week. And just looking over some of the data that exists, starting in about from about the 1990s into 2000, we were looking at around 35 to 40 districts, and that was pretty steady. And then after that, um, for every five to 10 years, we're seeing an increase of about 10 to 20 districts in that time period. So looking back, um, in, 2000, in 2000, we had 39 districts. In 2005, it grew to 57. In 2010, we were up to 66. In 2015, we hit 82. And now going into the 2020 school year, we have 109. So as you can see, it's a substantial, a substantial amount of growth, and we've determined that 96% of those 109 districts are rural. And so it started as a means of efficiency, and I think that has evolved into our four-day school week of today, where we still have the priority around efficiency, but we're doing lots of other things um, to serve our students and to serve our communities. Um, so that's a little bit about the history and, and how this all came to be. So, and what's interesting, and I think we'll move quickly into some myth busting. I think there's a perception um, among our urban and suburban counterparts that thinks, oh, these rural kids, oh, first of all, rural schools can't afford to operate on a five-day schedule, and or, oh, those poor rural kids just aren't getting the same preparation um, and the same level of education as our urban and suburban kids who are going five days a week. Now, of course, we're starting to see urban and suburban districts shift as well. I think that's why this conversation has become so timely. But to Danielle's point, the schools, the students are still required to attend school for that same amount of time. Right, and so they're still getting the same numbers of academic hours as students that are going to a, a school five right. days a week. And I think that's a critical piece that we want to make sure everyone understands is that systems that choose to go to a, a modified calendar aren't doing less than than what uh, their counterparts are doing in a, in a five day traditional calendar. Uh, kids are getting exposed to the same standards, the same content, and they're actually just exposed to more time 
um, during the four days that they're, they're together. And so I think that's really important for those who aren't involved in a force A system to understand is that there is the actual contact hours are still very high in, in meeting a minimum standard for what the state requires. And so just because a, a child is going to a four day system doesn't mean that they're getting less of an education, it just means that the exposure to the content is done in a different way. And so we, I think what we see and the research keep, continues to show us is that there is pros and cons to both systems. One of the things that we find, Colorado is not the only state that this trend is going on. We see that throughout the, the West, um, specifically in the Central West. So we see it in Montana, the Dakotas, Wyoming, Colorado seem to have the highest population, knowing that we, we worked with some of our research partners and what they're seeing across it is that actually the achievement levels for kids that are performing in a four-day week or a modified calendar is actually the same as what we see in five-day-a-week. So that performance level is something that I, I know that we all look at to say, are we still really serving our kids in the right way? And what we're finding is modifying a calendar, there is a negligible effect um, that we see, um, and it really is about the internal system that we see. As, as Frank pointed out, his district performs really well on a modified calendar. We have quite a few that do. We also sometimes see some others, but we believe that those the research is showing us is those are other factors than the calendar that are, are affecting that. So I think we, we see that, and that's part of what we want to make sure everyone understands is that kids are still getting the same amount of exposure to academic content as they would if in, on a traditional calendar. One thing I forgot to add at the front is that Kirk was a superintendent of a small rural district in the San Luis Valley that was on a four-day school week and is a parent in, a, in the Salida School District, um, which also has a four-day work week. So please do chime in from those experiences as well and that perspective as well. Um, anything else sort of on the background or data or those pieces? I think, Kirk, you had mentioned that there may be a study coming out of one of the universities looking into the four-day work week? Yeah, I, I think as, as we see the trend, you know, one of the things that we noticed is that there's been kind of, in the cycle, as Daniil laid out history, that there's been different reasons that districts have taken on a modified calendar. And I think what we, we heard is really the beginning of this was about, what we saw is really about isolation. And a lot of the original districts were really far from places. So part of what the local boards were looking at is providing an opportunity. I think as Nikki mentioned, attendance was one of those when you have sports and small districts that have isolation are traveling great distances it really helped to have that additional time to do that and so i know a lot of districts moved to that as the very first thing i think we also saw i'm going to interrupt yep. you for one second nikki because we've brought it up twice now without helping our folks understand how far do your kids have to travel to get to some of their athletic events at the end of the school day well they can't wait till then because it's the distance is significant oh. yeah they're they travel almost um, all of their games are, are quite a distance, but they're they're usually traveling at least two, um, maybe three hours to a, to a game at times. So that's one way, uh, that, right? That was eating in. Yes, that was eating into a lot of our instruction time. Great, thank you. I didn't. Yeah. I did no, mean to interrupt because I wanted to give the listeners that and, perspective. And I think that was true for a lot of the original ones um, that that jumped into this. Is was looking at saying. We have to not only sports and extracurricular activities, but we also got feedback from families around this idea that things like a dentist 
and trying to get that, that we were losing kids out. And so when there was a denoted time that they could do that and get to those places that were, were open, uh, it was an advantage to our communities. So I think that was kind of the first run that, that we saw. Then I think we see, as, as Neil saw the history, the second time was really after 08 that we saw the change in the economics and, and what our legislature refers to as the negative factor, but we saw a great drain with the academic uh, with the economic downturn of funds out of districts. And so there was a look by districts um, to try to reduce costs by re- going to the four-day. And I think we're now seeing this third wave, which really isn't about the economics component, but it's also about teacher recruitment. And so it's a teacher recruitment and retention tool that we're seeing. And I think what we're, what we're noticing is that's where some of our colleagues in the more metro suburban areas are starting to look at this as a strategy in dealing with this. So we're kind of seeing some, some different reasons that people have come on. It's gotten us to this 109 um, districts in Colorado. And so as, as Michelle mentioned, we're part, so some of our higher ed partners are starting to look in and really wanting to do more research because there isn't a huge body of research. There is some um, around this. And so I know Michigan, we've been talking with Michigan State University, is looking at trying to do a large, large-scale study to get a, a bigger body of evidence in this area so we'll continue stay tuned and we'll know when the, when we have more info but the data we have right now continues to support that there is negligible differences in academics between that also on the finance we know that it's clear that those who in 08 made that shift that finance came out of certain groups because there are certain fixed costs that schools have to be open. Um, and so there are certain employees who, by decle- decreasing that, um, was where some of the savings happened. It didn't happen in your instructional staff. It really happened in your support staff. Right. So that was one of the factors that we saw. So can, I, can I say, Kurt? Um, I was, I was a, a teacher at, at Genoa Hugo out on the, the Eastern Plains when we went to a four-day week. So I was there on a five-day, made the transition to a four-day um, and that was my greatest fear. I was at that time. I was really against four-day weeks, um, just out of tradition. I think, right? I mean, it's like there's no way it can it can accomplish the same things. Um, it was to save money, and and the real the thought there was that well, we we can reduce 20% of our energy costs. We can reduce 20% of our food service. 20% of our bus driving. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Um, it's pretty tough to to tell a bus driver because we're going to a four day week, you're going to take home less money, and so you usually give them raises. You you usually do things to make up that cost. It may not be an additional cost, but it's it's generally doesn't save as much. The energy, uh, the use of a building and and actually turning off the heat or air conditioning just doesn't happen because those buildings are used constantly in rural areas. I mean they are the the center of the community. When you are on a four-day week, teachers have less time, so they're usually up there on the off day doing their planning, grading, mm-hmm. those types of things. Um, the, the buildings are used a lot. So you're, there's there's really not a cost savings as significant as, as, as people may think to go to a four-day week. But uh, again, at Genoa Hugo, as, as much as people fought it, once we went and once we were there for a year, there was no going back. It's... So the uh, community supported it. Communities, yeah, and and I haven't heard of a place that they've gone back to a five day week because the four day week was not successful. I think the story that you've talked about with Genoa Hugo and East Grand, at least, is that the community, or at least some swath of it, is concerned going in, mm-hmm. and then right, then they're hooked. Yeah, and the and the data that we have, um, or at least observations that we have made, is that districts that have conducted 
um, satisfaction surveys among their communities and parents show that 90% of those in the community really support the school day week. So before we go to break, I have a couple things to share. Um, one is that talking about achievement and growth, in 2011, the state did do a study to compare districts on a four-day versus five-day week. At that time, there were 67 districts on the four-day week. And, and comparing those districts with um, districts that were as similar enrollment size as the four-day week districts, they're really the conclusion was that there was no discernible difference between the districts that were operating on a four-day calendar versus five-day when looking at overall student achievement and growth on the state assessment. So there's that piece. And then one other point I'd like to mention too, and going back to what Nikki was talking about and kids traveling, um, you know, a considerable distance going to ball games and that, um, it's a staff piece too. So when talking about mm -hmm. instruction, um, when you're trying to be on a five-day week, but you have many staff members who are playing multiple roles for students, so driving buses, being coaches, um, having to work the events and help mm -hmm. to organize everything, um, on, on that fifth day, you would be missing a large part of your staff as well. So in thinking about quality instruction, it makes sense when they're, you're missing a considerable, considerable population of students from your school due to other activities and also a considerable number of staff then it makes sense to modify to that four-day week in order to make sure that the instruction on those four days is quality and that you're protecting that time with kids. That's great. Great point. It's great perspective, mm -hmm. and I hope that we've we've gone a long way towards helping folks understand. I know that some of our folks, when they hear people talk about the four-day work week, work school week in sort of a negative way, they get a little offended. Like, this is what our community chose, and we're happy with it. It's part of our culture now. It's sort of... Uh, yeah. the way things go. So we're again, uh, we're going to start a little bit and turn it to Nikki. Let's start with you um, and talk a little bit about the history in Campo. You told us sort of the um, the reasons that you your board started to think. Obviously, this is a decision made by the school board, which is a publicly elected body, so they do need to uh, answer to their communities and be respectful of their community's needs. Um, any sense and any input on the process when you all in Campo went and how the board engaged the community, whether they were on board, and then when we come back, we'll talk more about your more recent work with the Don LK funding. Okay, when we went, uh, when the board was considering going to a four-day week, they did hold several different meetings and, and gathered input from different stakeholders. I was teaching first and second grade at the, that time, and as a teacher. I, too, was against it. I just did not feel like it was in the best interest of our students, especially the primary students. I just didn't feel like extending our day was going to give me the time to make up for what we did on the Friday. And um, it was clear that parents wanted to try. Um, they were totally for it. Most of the staff was definitely for it. The board in, uh, initially decided they would do a pilot year, and then they would do surveys and and get feedback after that first year to see if it was really successful. And even as a teacher, by the end of that year, I had been able to rearrange my schedule. I, I could, we just did things differently, but um, I, I could support it after that first year. I, the, the kids would come back on Mondays refreshed, and it seemed like we were getting so much more done on the Monday through Thursday. We just adjusted recess time because we do go until 4.10, and so we adjusted that for the little ones so that they had that time. But, and we may have changed the way we taught a little differently too, but um, it, was, it was a process that there, I, and we had, I think we had one uh, parent that said he, he liked the four-day week, but 
it was causing a little bit of a, he had a little one that daycare on that last day was an issue. And other than that, all of our uh, responses after that first year were positive. Yeah, and so, since then, we tried, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, we tried lots of different things with the, the other Friday, that last day to say we, we really wanted to spend that day with remediation and um, with enrichment activities and those kind of things that um, I will say we've had some successes and, and we've had some failures in attempting to, to use that, but we can talk more about that in a minute. Tell us, we're, we're winding now. We've got a little bit less than a minute left on this. And you had mentioned that the district provides daycare. Was that something that you brought in after you went to the four-day week, or is that something that your was in existence prior to? No, we brought that in after. It wasn't a direct correlation to our decision for the four-day week, but it was a need that came up, and um, the board was willing to look at that. So we had no licensed daycare in the town and so to even keep our staff members we had um i think we had two staff members one year that we're expecting and and had we were probably going to lose teachers if we didn't have some way of uh, providing some daycare for them so they they implemented that yeah that's a really another common theme for our smaller rural communities and districts is uh what they call it a daycare desert and so more and more districts are looking at ways to bring daycare to their kids Ooh, what a great conversation, you guys. Thank you so much for that. Stay with us here on Connect and Collaborate. Be sure to like and subscribe our YouTube page. You can find more information about the show below in the description. So click on that link and uh, email. Hook up with any one of our Redefining Rural uh, members here. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Now return to Connect and Collaborate, voice of the Colorado Business Roundtable on KDMT, Denver's Money Talk, 1690 AM. Welcome back to Connect and Collaborate. Once again, I'm Alex Hopkins, your on-air producer, and we're having a fascinating conversation with our Redefining Rural series. This is episode three, again, brought to you by CSU Global, Colorado State University Global Campus. And today's episode is very exciting, talking about the four-day uh, work week, school week, if you will. Uh, I'm fascinated to find out more. So it, it was really interesting being able to wear both hats, uh, both as a superintendent and running a school district that was on a modified of four-day week schedule, and then also turning around and watching a district transition and having students within that system. And so I know when, when Salida School District transitioned from a five-day to a four-day, there was a lot of, as Nikki had brought up earlier, um, a lot of concern around, well, what do we do for daycare on that fifth day? And what was really exciting was to watch a small mountain community really embrace it and say, what could we do about that? And so in Salida, one of the things that we saw as, as a parent was really the community was the ones who really stepped up and tried to support what was going on. So we saw um, 
the extension of a boys and girls club that had just been went in had, had started up and what it could do there was also the rec department for the community really stepped up and so what we found is over time there was a lot of of places for kids to go for those parents who had concerns and i think much like nikki expressed that what we saw is that there was a really small percentage of parents who couldn't find that space for what was taking place on the fifth day that the community couldn't backfill um, to do that. And so I know um, that was a really positive uh, part for Salida in that community. Um, I also know that we have other communities like Frank's and Nikki's where the districts had actually stepped in and doing some additional work in those areas. And so I'd love to hear more, uh, Frank, from you and Nikki from you about what you guys had done in, in your districts. You bet. I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um... I, I came to, to East Grand three years ago, and, and, and during my first year, it's as, as any new job, you, you watch and listen and, and try to learn. And I think I said earlier, one of the, one of the most attractive pieces to, to recruitment is you, our ski areas offer free skiing on Fridays. That's great. It sounds great. It sounds like every kid, you know, starting in November can, can just go skiing. But what you find is kids don't have access to transportation Skiing's very expensive, even when it's free. Um, if you don't have skis, if you don't have boots, if you don't have the right equipment, and not all kids ski, um, and and so we found that we had a lot of a lot of our kids, especially a lot of our most at-risk kids, were very isolated for three days, um, living out in you know in in rural areas where they didn't get to go down the street and play with friends. They stayed at home. Their parents had to work. Um, so we spent part of that year really looking at what can we do? Um, what can we do for a lot of those students on, on Friday? How do we keep them more engaged? And the first thing we found out is we have to transport them. We can't just expect them to show up. If we, if we offer anything, they're not coming unless we go get them. Um, so that was one of the, the hurdles we had to figure out is, is let's, let's, let's figure out transportation. Then then we, we got a notice from Don L.K. and Albertsons that they were – uh, really looking at at doing one a study on fifth day, but but how do we get kids more engaged in fifth day? So we applied for a grant, um, and and I know Nikki did too. And, and the we is a community partnership, right? right. That's an important piece. So yes. talk about that a little bit. It, it was us, and and we have two rec districts actually. We have a rec district in Granby and a rec district in in Fraser Valley. Again, can you talk a little bit about what a rec district is? Yes, yeah, so a rec district is a, is a local what taxed area that offers programming for kids um and again they they ran programs on fridays both fraser valley and granby but getting the kids to those programs or if kids weren't necessarily interested in in athletic type programs uh they they weren't involved um and so in partnership with them to one help with transportation to not kill their programs or 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 hurt them with what we were trying to offer. Um, we we wrote a grant and got a grant from from Don L K that allowed us to in es, in essence experiment and start a Friday school. Uh, we tried to design ours around project based learning, um, very much around what the kids wanted to to learn. So we we that first year we spent our our first meeting. Um, really just experimenting, throwing a bunch of topics out to kids and saying, what do you like? We had a, a bunch of materials, just random materials. What would you like to make? What would you like to do? 
um, they came up with five or six subjects, uh, and we spent three or four weeks on each subject. Uh, and this is K-12, all your kids? No, no, it's okay. a good point. It's third through eighth grade. Okay. Um, we thought that the younger kids require much more care than, than we have personnel for, and high school kids are really busy doing a lot of other mm-hmm. things. I think there's a, we need to find a way to engage that, that group. Um, but so the kids took on these, these, these projects, um, they did photography, they did geocaching in the middle of winter. It was fantastic to watch them trudge through, through snow, um, around our middle school, uh, with these geocaching things and, 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 and to, to engage the community, we've brought in as much expertise as we can around whatever topic we're on. So when it was photography, we had a local photographer. She, I mean, her artwork, her photography is all over in every store up there. It's fantastic. She came in and spent three weeks with the kids and, and had the time of her life, um, as well as it was the kids were so excited. Now they're, you see them go into a store. Hey, that's, um, you know, that's her. That's that's her <laughs> stuff. So it's really cool to see that, that partnership um, and, and, and trying to grow that program. So I'm just going to have another business opportunity, business partnership <laughs> opportunity alert. It's sort of part of why we're here, but yes. truly, and we are starting to hear from some of our listeners about ways that they can engage with our kids. But um, mm-hmm. this work-based learning and getting kids really excited and experienced in some of our listeners' projects is a, a great opportunity as well. Yeah. So it, can you t- sorry, oh, just to jump in. How, can you talk a little bit about how the staffing part is organized? Is it led mostly by school staff, community? How do they mm-hmm. work together to organize your program so we hire and, and just out of we weren't sure but so we hired a pretty much a director of, of friday school which was a school staff member a teacher and that's what you call it friday school mm-hmm. we we it's creative it, it's gone a, it's gone a few different <laughs> different avenues we call it that mostly for line items in the budget because yeah, if we call it project-based learning and we're doing that somewhere else in school then the oh, line funny. items get confused if we call it something else so we just call it friday school and it's very simple um but uh, so we hired a director who's who's a, a teacher. It could be any staff member, mm-hmm. um, but we wanted somebody in the schools to really work that Monday through Thursday and be able to talk to kids and get messaging out and, and do that. And then it's really their role as a director not to lead the programs, but to find people to lead the programs. A lot of it's been other staff members. Um, mm-hmm. Fly fishing, for instance, we out of Friday school, we started a fly fishing club at our middle school. And so now we have about 30 kids as a part of Fly nice. Fishing Club, and they're in the middle of winter in our commons area out casting <laughs> uh, their fly fishing as practice. So it, it stemmed a lot of other things. But many are staff members, but many are community members that, that have an expertise in those areas um, that we can bring in and, and do that. So it's, it's really helped us reach out to the community much more and get them involved in school. And I assume one more question, then we'll turn to Nikki. I assume there's an opportunity for partnership that wouldn't require a three-week commitment, right? Right. It, it's really a lot up to the amount of time anybody wants to spend. Right. Uh, um, it could be a six-week commitment. It could be it could be one week. I mean, right. you know, it could be an hour of time. Um, so it's really up to to that that partner, that that community member, how much time they want to spend. What we have found is they want to spend more time than than one they have usually, or at least, uh, uh, and and many have asked for more time. Like, hey, I can come in next week too, and I can, you know, we can keep this going. Well, sure, um, hanging you, out with the kids is contagious. Yeah, you yeah. get with the kids when it's not a you know career day in the classroom, but it's 
it's really a, a, a much more participatory, hands-on, um, active learning, and, and yeah, the adults have as much fun as the kids do. Oh, no so doubt. before we go to Nikki, can you share with us about how many students you have participating? What's the percentage mm. of those third through eighth graders that are taking advantage of this opportunity? That's a good point. We need to grow that. It, right now, it's it's not a huge percentage, but we have in varying weeks, and, and I don't know if it's other activities for sure or other things going on, but we have anywhere from 10 kids, which isn't great, up to about 50 kids participate. Mm. Um, that that's been where we are. It's it's kind of a for whatever reason we can't get much above 50. In terms of different total numbers of kids that participate, we run about a hundred. Um, and so we, if you've really figured, we have about a hundred kids per grade. And so third through eighth grade, that's five or six hundred kids. We get about a hundred that participate throughout the year in in at least one. Friday school activity. And are you bringing, are you going out and picking them up in your buses? Yes. You are? Yep. Wow. Yeah, we don't go door to door, but we, we certainly won't run our regular routes and, and our regular bus stops where we can pick up kids. I could certainly see with my middle schooler, but anything's optional <laughs> getting out of bed and going to school. Mm -hmm. that probably we, we, we change the hours a little bit, so it's, matter. It's, it's not quite so early in the morning that to get help. up. Um, so we run it from 9 to noon, sometimes it's about noon, or 1230. Um, and, and feed them snacks and a lunch if they want, and um, and then we get them back home. But, yeah, we do bus. Great. So. Nikki, you've been so quiet. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Tell us about the your experience down in Campo and the more recent work with the community through Donnell K funding. Well, I would say our experience is, is very similar to what Frank just described. We've followed the same kind of process. One of the, the greatest insights for us was that when we started talking about what could we offer for students on Friday, we started, I started with a few teachers and we started talking about uh, what kind of expertise we had in the community and what kinds of things we could bring in. But as I started talking to students, I found out that they were interested in coming on Friday for classes, but not the classes we were talking about. So I think we learned real quickly that we needed to have their voices heard at every stage of our planning processes so that we were making good decisions and that they would, would come for what was being offered. Um, we've done things very similar. We've used volunteers from the community to come in and, and share their their talents and their skills with the students. Um, we've had the students made a list, and and um, we had a, a whole process. They went to a workshop for with Don LK that uh, where they learned how to do design thinking, and so they really they value that process. And uh, when we got to the end of of the planning and uh, voting for which classes they were most interested in, we were kind of um, surprised at some of the choices that they they made but the, their choices were um the first year we had dance art uh community theater photography cooking and then we had a student that really really wanted to start a rock band and so he solicited enough votes that he <laughs> got it in the top top five or six so we started a rock band and we've continued with that um we've had really good attendance with our elementary students with different, of course, we do um, individualized classes too. We have classes that are specifically for elementary, and then classes that are for our junior high and high school students, so that we can plan accordingly too. 
but our elementary students attend really well. Our junior high, um, a little bit less, and we had really struggled with getting our high school students there for very many of our classes. So last year, we really talked to them about why we would talk to them about each at the end of each of our Fridays. We call ours Fabulous Fridays. And uh, we don't do those every Friday. We try to do those every other Friday. And um, we talked to the high school students about why they weren't attending. And some of it was the timing. So we did do, do some later classes in the day. And some they were just working and they couldn't make it. But last year we started some job shadowing. And then we intended to start a basic auto care. And then the, the volunteer that we had in the community that was going to teach that for us had to have shoulder surgery, so we've had to delay that, but we do hope to get that in our schedule for this next year. So to some extent, it really is community-driven in terms of the opportunities that you can offer to the students, right? Yes, that's the way we've approached it. I remember you telling a story, Nikki, about how you were surprised when your kids came up with a theater program, and that like almost as soon as they did, somebody moved. I might be butchering this, but you remember what I'm talking about? Somebody moved to the community that had yes. a theater background? <laughs> Yes, it was totally a coincidence, but it, it turned out so well for us. And and uh, they did a nice little production, and then we continued that this this past year as well. Uh, we were really surprised they wanted ballroom dancing. Now, I will say we were not able to get them ballroom dancing, but we did get a dance instructor who was volunteer. But um, they came in, and they did some square dancing, which they thought, at first, they thought that was going to be really lame, and then they found out it's really hard. <laughs> Unlike ballroom <laughs> dancing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's, it's been really good. One of the, the best classes I think we've had to, to kind of culminate our, our cooking classes, we did a, a chopped competition on a Friday, and we followed the, the script for the, the TV show as, as closely as we could, doing three rounds and eliminating. Uh, we did it in teams instead of individuals, but... They had a basket of mystery ingredients they had to decide what to put together and had a, a pantry that they could go to. And um, they, they've really enjoyed doing that. And, and we've had some requests for adults to, to join in and, and could they have their own cooking classes and their own chops competition as well. So it really has been great. But we, have, we do know that we have to listen to our, our students and, and we continually monitor their thoughts about um, how that's going because we we want it to be um, if we're going to put the time and, and effort into it, we want to get as many there as we can and so we know we have to listen to why they're not there or what they're they're wanting to change so that it is something that they're interested in so I think as we enter into our final 10 minutes of our episode today one thing I think that's important to touch on is the four-day week as um, a recruitment and retention effort. So in the past decade, we've been facing an educator shortage across the state, across our nation. What does this mean, Frank and Nikki, for your staff? What, how do you utilize that fifth day, and how are you looking at this as a possible recruitment or retention tool for staff members? Nikki, why don't you start? So we use the, the Fridays right now. We use those for staff meetings, and then we also try to provide some professional development on those Fridays whenever possible. So that we're um, we're giving teachers that option. I think for us, years ago when we first started, and I know Frank's been in this a lot longer than we have, but when 
early on, um, I've been superintendent, and I'll start my 17th year, and I know when I first started looking for teachers, that was really something that was interesting to, to and kind of a, a catch that when I would talk to potential candidates, it was like we're on a four-day week, and they were so intrigued by that idea, and, and it was something that I think for all of our disadvantages living in such an isolated community, that was something that we could really draw on, and now that it's becoming more of the norm instead of mm. the exception. It is harder and harder mm. to get people to look at that versus some of the other things that um, that they have to look at coming to our district that you have to drive 20 miles to, to get a gallon of milk and and um, those kind of services that that, that kind of um, – we've lost the edge there for sure. <laughs> what is the starting salary in your district, Nikki, if you know it offhand? I do. Do I have to <laughs> – it's 25.5. <laughs> yeah. But we do have, contrary to, to some of those other areas, especially Franks, we do have a very low cost of, mm-hmm. of living. And so we do, you know, rent is, is very reasonable. We have about three teacher Jesus that we um, we rent out for like 200 a month. So um, so it is, there is some of that offset. But we do go back to say that it it's it costs so much no matter where you live. So housing is one of those things that, one of the few things that can truly be um, one of those factors for cost of living. But you still have student loans and you still have all those fixed costs that no matter where you live, those are those bills are going to come due. So we're we're rural and, and a resort that sounds like a fantastic place to be. Yeah, the cost of living's there. We're also only 90 minutes from downtown Denver, mm-hmm. so having that four-day week is, is certainly attractive. And and I think it allows us to get a lot more applicants than than maybe some other places that are that are still a five day week that are around the metro area, you know, within an hour, hour and a half of the metro area. Um so I I, I do believe it it attracts people. Um as for the retention piece what we have found is is that retention is really a lot more about the culture we can create and the mm-hmm. the what we can do to help our teachers have a, have a pretty good lifestyle. Um, we do not, unfortunately for me, but I think our teachers really love it. We, we do not have a, a large number of professional development days or in-service days. So we really don't use our Fridays a whole lot. We, we have three Fridays a year that, um, our two of those are per, for professional development. And then one is just simply a teacher work day. Um, and, and that's it. Um, those we used to when we started they were once a month and which i think is pretty normal for four day four day week districts is that once a month you you get your teachers together and are able to provide some sort of professional development or or allow them some time to work um but due to due to you know economies getting worse and worse and and us having less and less money those were the things we we generally cut out of 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 days, it costs us a little over fifty thousand dollars a day just in salaries to have teachers there, just mm-hmm. teachers only. Um, so, we we cut those Fridays out. Um, so I, I I do think though that 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 retention piece is is really a lot more about culture. We pay our starting salaries thirty seven thousand, mm-hmm. which I can I can say when I lived on the Eastern Plains, I had more money in my pocket at the end of the month than I would if I were right. were in East Grand, even though I'd be making significantly more money. Well, of course, thirty-seven five sounds like a fortune in compared to twenty-five five, but right. both are uh, exorbitant, ridiculously low. Yes. I would just say. Yeah, we're about ten thousand dollars below the average cost of living right. for our average teacher salary. So, um, 
it, we we try to create as as good a culture. I, I, certainly, having the Fridays off, we we have some some people on our health committees. Ironically, we call them a health committee, but uh, that have Friday get-togethers for our staff. Um, you know, every couple months they'll hey meet us at three o'clock after skiing at at the lodge, and we'll have you know we'll have drinks or or just something that that we can support and try to bring people together and, and make them happy to, to be where they're at. So. so I think one of the things that, that I've seen as we look across the state, both on recruitment and intention and what we talked about, about fifth day activities, is that a lot of districts are using this as a way what were traditionally known as elective classes or those extracurricular kind of things. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think we find is that a lot of the districts that have gone to four days are using it with their community support as an opportunity to expose kids to areas that they wouldn't be exposed under the current curriculum because Mm -hmm. as we've seen finance reduced to rural, that's been one of those issues. And that's really electives has been where we've had to remove a lot of pieces. The other thing that I see um, a lot of these districts do is making sure that they hold on to protecting those highest risk kids. I know for the district that that I got to serve, one of the things that we made sure was that we sent home food in a backpack program for that fifth day. And uh, that district, actually 90% of the students were below the poverty level. So nine out of 10 kids were looking at what were they going to eat on that, that missing day. Mm-hmm. And so we made sure that we helped support. And I know other schools that are doing that, mm-hmm. that's one of those high priorities that, that districts and school boards really place on doing that. And it's the area that I think a lot of them need support and how they can continue continue to make sure and ensure that kids, uh, because of a systems change or a calendar change, aren't going home, are not going hungry, but they get this both food and exposure to do that, as well as hopefully helping with with the staff development and so things. So as both a parent and a superintendent, one of the things that I've seen is that really going to a, a changing calendar has been benefited both my kids as a parent and then what I saw as my staff as as an instructional leader. So as closing that, it's one of the things that I would just say overall that I've seen as a positive, and I'd throw it to you guys if Yeah, talk comments. just a second, literally, almost, about the benefit for the kids. So, I mean, one of, the, one of the things as a parent that I see is that we know with, with busy, busy lives and the way society is, is that the ability to actually have that, those, that flexibility in, in with your with your child has been a huge advantage the ability to take a friday and do and participate in their activities has been a great advantage from when we worked as as five days to not being able to be involved with our kids so that's one of the things that i see as a parent is a huge advantage um our kids don't stay home and play xbox they continue to do good things (laughs) wow Kirk, what great comments you have. Uh, I, I like to also reiterate out there that the kids aren't just sitting at home and playing their Xbox, right? They're actually um, feeling good about this, and they get a little more say in what they're doing, which is awesome to hear. I wish I had that when I was little, um, but it's awesome to see that it's working out well, and hopefully we get more schools involved in this. Thank you all so much. It has been a pleasure having you on. Again, find more in the description below. Be sure to like and subscribe our YouTube page while you're here. You can find this podcast and more at cobrt.com slash radio dash podcast. Have a wonderful day.